we are going through a study through First and Second Samuel as well as First Chronicles called The Days of the King, looking at the life of David and his kingship in Israel. And we're into now Lesson 19, looking at David, king of Israel. He's brought the ark to Jerusalem, and now we're going to talk about his desire to build. You're saying his desire to build what, George? Well, he's thinking about building a temple for his God. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to find that in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 29, as well as in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 1 through 27. So let's get right into our lesson today. We're not going to uh, read these passages. Uh, we might refer to them as we go along, but we're going to get right into our discussion today and talk about David's desire to build God a house and what God says to him. So let's take a look at it. So when you come to chapter 7, uh, it starts off with David having a discussion with the prophet Nathan, okay, with the prophet Nathan. So the writer points out that David was resting in his palace as God gave him rest from his enemies. So basically, there's a time of peace. So this is pretty significant if you think about it for a moment, because David's life has very much been a life of war up to this point. War against the Philistines and against all the other enemies of Israel, running from Saul for all those years, even the civil war that went on between the tribes of Israel, the, the, uh, the 11 tribes against Judah, and now he has Jerusalem, of course that was through a battle, and he's defeated the Philistines. He's at peace now. He's resting. And so he is in his palace, chilling, so to speak. And God gave him rest. Now, it then says that he talked to Nathan the prophet. Okay, So David pointed out to the prophet Nathan that he lived in a house of cedar as the ark dwelt in a tent. All right, so we already know that David is a pretty spiritual dude. He's got a wonderful relationship with the Lord. He inquires of the Lord as far as whether or not he should go out to battle. God has been his strength throughout all of his life. And so here he is, he's, he's living in this house of cedar, so to speak, his palace of cedar, that was built by what? The craftsmen that were sent to him by the king of Tyre, Hiram. And he's sitting there and he's thinking about the ark and that the ark, he's sitting in this lush palace, but the ark, which represents the presence of God, is in a tent. And so he's telling Nathan that. He's, he's pointing that out to him. Now, this is where it, get in, it gets interesting, because the text doesn't say anything more than that, okay? The next thing you read is that David was told something by Nathan. So Nathan told David to do all that was in his heart, for the Lord was with him. So, obviously, Nathan is surmising that David wants to build 
a temple for his God, for the God of Israel, for the ark. He didn't have to say it, just the way the conversation was going, obviously. And Nathan says, do whatever you want. God is with you. Sounds like a good reaction. Go ahead and do it. Now, the problem is, of course, we don't see that anybody has inquired of God if this is what he wants, right? I think we notice that, right? And, and you and I are like that as well. We're, we're like Nathan and we're like David. You know, we think we, we know what we need to do with the Lord and we tell somebody else and we're like, yep, go do it. God's going to be with you. God's going to bless you. And we just make assumptions. And there's an assumption here that's being made, which we're going to find out from the text God corrects almost immediately. Because then when you come to verse 4, we see that God talks to Nathan. Okay? Talks to Nathan. So we come to verse 4 through 17, and we're going to see the Lord's response. Okay? The Lord's response. So here's the first thing I want you to notice. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Nathan that very evening. So God's word came to the prophet that very evening. Probably Nathan went home. I mean, this is just speculation on my part. Probably he went home and he's thinking, yeah, I'm a king. He's going to build something for our God. Probably had his meal, laying down for bed or whatever, and God comes and speaks to him that evening. Okay? That evening. And he's got a message for David. So here's what the Lord says. Nathan was to ask David if he would build a house for the Lord to dwell in. So, okay, so remember, when you look at the first three verses, there's an implication in what David is saying. The implication is, I'm dwelling in this palace made of cedar. God's dwelling in a tent. So it's kind of implied there that David wants to build a temple. It's not flat out said, I want to build a temple. It's kind of implied. Nathan says, do whatever's in your heart, the Lord's with you. Well, Nathan now is told by the Lord, you ask him, would you build me a temple? Is that what your desire is here? Now, it's interesting, when you go over to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, the story is almost parallel except for one point. Instead of asking the question, the chronicler doesn't do this, he doesn't list this question, would you build me a house? God tells Nathan this. The chronicler records that the Lord stated that David would not build his house. Now, for some reason, the writer of 2 Samuel doesn't tell us this. Now, he'll explain it later when we get further into David's life. David's going to tell us why he was not allowed to build this house. Some of you know that answer. I'm not going to tell you right now. We'll wait till we get there. All you need to know is that the chronicler, the writer of Chronicles, is telling us, God said, you're not going to build my house. You're not going to build my house. And so here's what else the Lord says. The Lord stated that he has not dwelt in a house since he brought Israel out of Egypt. Whoa. So all those centuries before, when he, with Moses, brought 
Israel out of Egypt and through the 40 years of the wandering and then coming into the promised land with Joshua and up to that point where David is now king, he is saying, I haven't dwelt in a house. I have not dwelt in a house. I've not dwelt in a temple. I've been in a tent. In fact, the Lord has moved about in a tent, the tabernacle. That's, the, that's what the Lord says. I've been in a tent ever since. I've moved about in a tent, the tabernacle. Okay? The tabernacle. The Lord then also said this. The Lord pointed out that he has never made a request for a house of cedar. So God's going to say, okay, I've never lived in a house. And by the way, I have never asked for a house. I've never made a request ever for a house of cedar. I'm not asking for this. All right? I'm okay with the way it is right now, the Lord is saying. I've not asked for this. And then he goes on. Basically, he's basically said, David, you're not going to build this house. I am telling you right now, I've never asked for this house. But I got a message for you. And what he says to David is very very important. In fact, these section of verses is what's known as the Davidic covenant, which is very, very important even for you and I. Okay? So let's pay attention to what's going on here. So the Lord pointed out that he took David from the sheepfold and made him ruler over Israel. So first thing he starts out after he moves from the subject of talking about a house or a temple, he goes to the issue of David and he says, David, I took you from following the sheep and made you ruler over my, my children, Israel, my people. I did that. The Lord has been with him and cut off his enemies and made him a great name on the earth. That's what he says here. God saying to him, look, I've been with you from the very beginning when you were with Goliath, when you were running from Saul, when you were in Ziglag, when you came back and you were made king over Judah. And now that you are the king, I've been with you. I've cut off your enemies. And I've made your name great in the earth. Your name will be named among the greatest in the world. And that's true even to this day. I mean, everybody knows who King David is. It's because his name is great. God said he would do that. He goes on and the Lord says this. The Lord states that he will establish Israel in an appointed place and give them rest. He's saying, I'm going to establish Israel in an appointed place. What's that appointed place? The land that they're in right now. The land that he gave them. I'm going to appoint them that. And I'm going to give them rest, he's saying to David. I'm going to give them a period of rest. And that would be true under David's rule as well as his son Solomon. He gave them rest from their enemies. The Lord 
will make David a house or a royal dynasty. The text says house. I will make you a house. What, he's what is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about making them a royal dynasty. We understand royal dynasties. Some of you are, you pay attention to what happens in England with their royalty. They belong to the house of Windsor. This is, this is what we're talking about, royal dynasties here. If you're into history and you study the Russian czars, they're from the Romanov family. That's a dynasty. Well, here we're talking about the house of David being a royal dynasty. God will make David a royal dynasty. This is the Davidic covenant. He goes a little bit further in this covenant. He says this. He promises that he will set up David's seed after his death and establish his kingdom. Now, this would be very important to any king. What do you mean, George? Well, if you think about it for a moment, if you're a ruler, you want to know that the things that you're establishing, the things that you're setting up, are going to continue on. Well, David's already know the kingdom of Saul ended. No matter what Saul did, it's now over. His seed wouldn't, didn't take over. It would be fresh in his mind what happened there, and he would wonder, will there be an heir from me to take over from me? And God is saying, yes, your seed, I'm going to set them up. Your son, I'm going to set him up, and I'm going to establish his kingdom. I told you I was going to make you a house, a royal dynasty. He goes on, and this son will build David a house and his kingdom will be established forever. Now when he's talking about building David a house, what house is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about a temple. The thing that David desired was a temple for the Lord, but he said, David, you're not going to be the one to build it, but your son will. He'll build you that house. Now, that's going to motivate David later. We're going to see that later as we go on because David knows that the thing that he wants is going to happen, that his son, who will be king, will do it. David's going to prepare for that, kind of giving you a hint of what's coming, and we'll look at that later as we progress along in David's life. But right now, what I need you to see is God is promising him that this temple that you want to build for me, David, your son will build it. And his kingdom will be established forever. What's he saying there? He's saying, David, this son, those who come after him, the, the, the kingdom of David will be forever. Now, some of you would say, huh, well, that's true. Up until the Babylonian captivity, George, when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed everything, and even when they came back under the Persians, there's not been another king of David since then. Yes, there was a Hasmonean period in what we know of as the intertestamental period, but they weren't of the line of David. Yes, but the kingdom of David is still forever, my friends. Why? Because there was another son of David that we know of who will come back and reestablish that kingdom. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, the Messiah. So 
This son will build him a house. Now he's got some other things to report about this son. Here's what he also says. The Lord will be his father and he will be his son. Talking about the relationship between the Lord and this son of David. And we see that in King Solomon's life. Yes, he strayed. We're going to see that later when we get into Kings. But he had a relationship with the Lord. Now, the Lord also goes on and says, this is a prophetic statement, if he commits iniquity, the Lord will chasten him, but his mercy will not depart from him. In fact, if you read the text, he says, I'm not going to take my mercy from him like I did Saul. Remember, when he left Saul, he abandoned Saul. He took his kingdom from him. That was not even going to be true anymore with David's sons. Specifically with Solomon, he would not do right in the end. But God didn't remove his mercy from him. And the kingdom would go on and there would be other sons of David, other kings that would arise. Some of them would be good and they would do what's right. But there are also some who would not do what's right. But again, God would not remove his mercy as with the house of Saul and end the house of David. This is the Davidic covenant, folks. This is what's going on here in this passage. The Lord stresses that David's house and kingdom will be established forever. Folks, forever. Always be there. And again, the skeptic would say, well, you know, that's great, but that's not true. <laughs> We're not seeing the kingdom of David today, buddy. Uh, you know what? God has a different way of doing things sometimes. And if you know Jesus, you know that he's going to establish that kingdom again forever. So here's what happened. Nathan then, after hearing this word, He's got to tell David. So if you look, verse 17 is just one verse. Nathan told David everything according to the words and vision the Lord gave him. So you can almost see it in the morning. Nathan's getting up. What's he do? Makes a beeline to the palace. David, I got a word from you from God. And he told him everything. He didn't hold back anything the text tells you. Now, what follows then when we get to verse 18 through the end of the chapter is David's response. And this is how you know David is a spiritual man. Because when he hears this good news, he has a response and his response is towards God. He responds in prayer. Okay, he responds in prayer. So, Here's what I want you to see. As soon as you get to verse 18, it says this. David got alone and sat before the Lord in prayer. So David got alone. In fact, all right, if you look at the text, verse 18, it says this. Then David went in and sat before the Lord. What do you mean he went in? Well, probably into his inner chamber. Went from the throne room area to somewhere where he was private and he sat down and prayed. That's, that's interesting. Here we see somebody who sits down and prays. That's what he did. He sat before the Lord and prayed. 
And what follows in verse 19 through verse 29 is his prayer. So I just want to point out some things about his prayer, what he says to God. Some things we can learn from this, okay? As we praise God, as we give him thanks, okay? So notice, first thing, David humbly asks the Lord, who is he that he would be brought to this point? This is awesome because David's basically saying, oh, whoa, God, why are you doing this for me? Who am I? That is totally the opposite from, yeah, I deserve this. David's not expressing that. He's going to God and saying, whoa, what is there about me that you would do this? That's what he's doing here. He's being humble, okay? He's being humble. Here's the next thing I want you to see. David pointed out, that what God says he will do is only a small thing in his sovereignty. Well, you and I are looking at that and saying, wow, that seems like a really big thing. But David is pointing out in prayer, look, God, what you said in doing this, yeah, that's big for me, but that's nothing for you. He's, he's pointing out the sovereignty of God and that this is an insignificant thing for him. But it's awesome for David and his household. It's awesome. He goes on. David points out that he can't say anything more since the Lord knows his servant. Wow. You know, Jesus said that, didn't he? You know, that you and I, when we go to prayer, that he already knows what we have need of even before we ask. He says that in the Gospels. God already knows what's on our mind and on our hearts. David's expressing that. God, why would you choose me? This is such an insignificant thing for you to do. And how, how can I respond? Because you already know me. You already know what's in my heart. You already know everything about me. Isn't that true for you and I when we go before the Lord in prayer? He already knows everything. And, and that, that's a, he, a word of warning to us because sometimes we get into this mindset of, Manipulate. Well, if I tell God this, maybe that'll move. Hey, he already knows that. So quit trying to manipulate him. David is expressing here that the Lord knows his servant. The Lord knows his servant, folks. He knows you. He knows me. Okay? Let's go on. David praises the Lord for who he is and that there is none like him in all the world. When you read the text, David is basically giving glory to the sovereign God of the universe. There is no other God like him. In fact, the other gods are nothing. He deserves all of the glory and honor and praise. And we see that. He continues on in his prayer. He also points out that there is none like Israel who God has made his special people. Whoa, we need to take note of that. There are some today that would say that we are America's God's chosen people. Nah, that's not true, folks. There's no support for that biblically. If anything, the Bible says there is only one special people. Who's that, folks? Israel. And here David is saying, he points out that there is none like Israel who God has made his special people. No one is like Israel. He says it very clearly here in his response to the Davidic covenant. 
He goes on and he says this, David asked the Lord to establish his word as he spoke it. So what's, what do you mean establish his word? Well, but David is basically saying here, look God, do what you said you're going to do. Do it according to your word. Do it. You said it, do it. That's what David is saying. You and I can pray like that sometimes when we, we're praying and we're remembering the promises of God. There's nothing wrong with you and I doing like David and saying, God, do what you said you were going to do. That's what David is saying here in his prayer. God, you said you would establish my kingdom forever. You would raise up my son. He will build me this house for you. Do your word. Do what you said you're going to do. He goes on and he expresses this as well. The fulfillment of the word to David will bring glory to the Lord forever. The fulfillment of that word. David expresses, God, when you do this, you will receive the glory because you did it. You did it, Lord. And that, my friends, is something for you and I to ponder as we consider the greatness of our God in fulfilling his word, but also establishing the house of David forever. Why is that important? Because we would see that there would be a son raised up who will establish that kingdom forever, that son being Jesus, but he just doesn't establish his kingdom, David's kingdom forever. He made you and I citizens of that kingdom because he brought salvation into our lives. That's what's so awesome when you read the story of David. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter 7 and the end of chapter 17 in 1 Chronicles. Next week, we're going to get right into chapter 8 of 2 Samuel. And we're going to see David's interaction with the nations around him. Ammon is one of them. And we're going to see how he interacts with the nations around him. And so that'll be interesting next week as we get into lesson 20.